The music is provided by Calvary Quartet. You can have more of their music at calvaryquartet.com or log on to our website at gospelbaptistchurch.com. Revelation chapter 14. I got quite a bit I want to plow through here this morning, help you. God gave this to me this week, uh, early in this week, and I've been enjoying the book of Revelation. I love reading it, mining through it again, and going over it. Uh, just love the, the Bible, and this is a Bible preaching church. If you're looking for a, a church, we believe in the Bible as the very inspired, preserved Word of God. We believe our God can do anything. When he says nothing's impossible, we believe it. The only thing that God cannot do is he cannot lie or deny himself. Everything else he can do. And we do not believe our, our God's uh, hand is shortened and it cannot save. We believe he can save in every way, in any way he wants to. And so we're not a group of despaired and despondent people. We're a group of happy, happy uh, children going to heaven. Now, we have our troubles, our people get sick, our people eventually die, our people have all kinds of maladies that come in their life, financial setbacks, but we have a Savior that walks with us day by day, and he comes to us, and we, we, though we may be sad, we never lose our joy. Joy is found in Jesus, not in the happenings around us, and we can have joy through the hardest of times. And you will know us when you meet us because we'll be different than those out there in the world who have no hope. Revelation chapter 14, 1 through 5. I want to read make a few comments as I go in here and do a little bit of introduction prior to really one phrase, uh, which is the title of this message, In Their Mouth Was Found No Guile. That's really my theme. Uh, but I want to set, up, uh, 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 set it up a little bit. And I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his father's name in their foreheads. Now, let me stop right there. The Jehovah's Witnesses have, have sowed a lot of confusion around 144,000. I was raised in Elkhart, Indiana, in a little farmhouse. Behind us was a family. His last name was Blue, and he was a Jehovah's Witness. And they, at that time, used King James Bible, and they... Um, believed that there were still gathering 144,000. 144,000 were those that were actually born again, and they got to go to the New Jerusalem and be with Jesus. The rest of the poor folks got to be on the new, new earth, which, I mean, poor, meaning you didn't get to go to the New Jerusalem. You got new earth. Now, that's not anywhere in the book, but 144,000 were a select group. Now, that group has been filled, according to their own theology, that group's been filled now, so no more 144,000. I always, when, I, when they come to me and I say, are you part of 144,000? They always kind of lower their head a little bit and say, no, that group has already been filled, 144,000. And I said, well, 
who of the hundred, is it your folks, you folks are the ones that filled 144,000? They say, yes. I said, let me ask you a question. Were they all men? And they say, well, no, there were some women. I said, no, that's not possible. And I said, of those men that were in the 144,000 in your group, were they married? And they said, well, yeah. I said, that's not possible. Because according to the Bible, the 144,000, very clearly, if English means anything and if Greek means anything, uh, were 144,000 virgin male Jews. They have to be, because that's what it says. We'll read here. There's 144,000. Same their name was written in foreheads. Now, in the Pentateuch, the Bible told God. God wanted His people to be different than the nations. So he told these people not to tattoo themselves. The nations tattooed themselves. Everybody tattooed themselves. But he told the children of Israel, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to mark your body in any way. And so consequently, that's passed down really through generation after generation. Even today, the average born-again believer does not tattoo them. They do not. Now, we have a lot of tattooed people here at the gospel. But they got saved and then got tattooed. Excuse me. They got, they got tattooed. They got tattooed. And then they got saved. And once you got a tattoo, you keep it as a trophy of the grace. You know, you keep it as a trophy of grace. Don't hide it. It is what it is. Because if you've ever gone and tried to have them lasered off, you'll decide to keep them because of the sheer pain in the getting them lasered off. Plus, it leaves a white blotch on your skin, and you might as well just leave it. But most of our people were tattooed, and they became Christian because the Bible just is not favorable to marking your body, even though we're not under the law of Moses. That was the will of of him for his children of Israel, which were to be his people, and he wanted them to be different. So consequently, I spray all that to say, we don't tattoo. I don't have any tattoos myself. But I'm going to. Because the Bible says God's going to tattoo me. When I get my new body like unto his glorious body, it says I'm going to have a name. In fact, and if you go to book, and don't do this, but go to Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, it says, that those people of that church there are going to get a name, the Jehovah God tattooed on them, the name of the New Jerusalem tattooed on them, and Jesus' new name tattooed on them. So they're going to have three major tattoos. It's also very interesting that most of these tattoos are in the forehead. Most predominant visible place of anybody is the forehead. When you go to somebody, if I see, you know, I mean, and some people have a bigger forehead than others. If they don't have any hair up there, the forehead just extends back. But uh, but, but the forehead is a very sensitive place. But yet these people are getting a tattoo. It says here their father's name written in their foreheads. Is it not interesting to you to know that the beast, the beast, the one that's to come, is going to mark his converts with his name in their forehead? And if the number somehow is going to equate to the number 666, I do not know how that's going to be. Nobody really does. But it's going to be some sort of a name that matches this number, 666. And that's going to be put, now most Christians that read the Bible know that. You don't want to do, six, in fact, you don't want a license place that says 666 on it. Tell them you want another one. You, you don't want to order food and have the bill come out 666. I mean, we used to have, a, our tuition for the second kid after the discount at Gospel Baptist came out 666. I told Mrs. Most, do not put on their bill that they owe $666. Round up. Go 667. Please don't go 666. We just get, we born again believers get the creeps. 
about that number, 666, because it's in the Bible. It's not a good thing. It's those, in fact, the Bible says that those who have their, allow themselves to have that 666 put in their forehead or the back of their hand cannot be saved. In fact, it says before the foundation of the world, God knew who that group was going to be, and their name was never even put in the Lamb's Book of Life. Everybody else seems to have been, and then you reject Christ, your name will be blotted out. But otherwise, that group never was put in there, period. Very interesting, very interesting. I heard a voice from heaven, the voice of many waters, the voice of a great thunder. The other night, last night, uh, my wife and I went out on our porch. I, I walked around my the five acres as there was a, a, a show going on that Disney couldn't even think about doing, uh, and it was rolling thunder. It, wasn't, it was heat lightning, but it had rolling thunder, kind of like a Harley Davidson sounds like. Uh, rolling thunder. Yeah, here's the way a Honda sounds like. Bing, bing, bing. But Harley Davidson, boom, 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 boom. You know, the difference in the two. It's for you, Brother Tom, and, uh, and Brother Nat. And so... So the, the, the rolling thunder, man, it was beautiful. I told my wife, come on out here. Stop what you're doing. You're doing laundry. You know, I said, quit it. Laundry will be there in the dark. Get out here and listen to this thunder because God's given us a show tonight. This is my favorite time of year. You people are visiting. This is my favorite time of year. I know, I know you wanted to know that. This is my favorite time of year. Mountains come and go, and we get lightning storms and sunsets. They'll knock your eyes. You don't get much of a sunrise here. We get sunsets are phenomenal. There's going to be great thunder, and I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, before the four beasts and the elders. And no man could learn that song, but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. I want you to underline, mark that, which were redeemed from the earth. These people were in the tribulation period. They were in the tribulation period, and they were redeemed from the earth. And these, these are they which were not defiled with women. No offense to you women, but it is Father's Day. For they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. They, these were redeemed from among men. Again, reinforcing verse 3. Being the firstfruits of God and to the Lamb. And the, the, the phrase I'm going to speak about mostly is, In their mouths was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Of course, they're in their redeemed condition. But it's interesting that that phrase was use. One of the main goals of the tribulation period, which this is found in, chapter 7 as well as chapter 14, both deal with 144,000. One of the uh, main goals of tribulation is the restoration of the children of Israel to Jehovah Jesus, to Jehovah. The church is gone by this time of, of the passage that we're in. Church is gone, not mentioned once after chapter 3. But in chapter 2 and, and chapter 1, chapter 2 and chapter 3, the church is mentioned over seven times. And yet after, when he says, come up hither in chapter 4, you never hear of without the church again. Uh, it's gone. Why? Because the, the chapter 4 and on in the book of Revelation is the fulfillment of the 70th week spoken about in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 and 26. You're going to have to take that by faith because I don't have any more time to explain but God is redeeming the remnant of Israel to populate the coming 1,000-year period of time, 1,000-literal-year period of time coming after this seven-year tribulation period. When Jesus comes back, 
at the 19th chapter in the book of Revelation, puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, splits it apart, and man, big things begin to change in this whole world. The curse is even rolled back, and there's a judgment set up of the nations, and those who did the certain things God requests are going to be allowed to go into this new, this new revised earth, which is going to have much of the curse rolled back, and they're going to, and Christ is going to rule from this place called Jerusalem for 1,000 years. In that 1,000 years, he is going to fulfill every word promised to the children of Israel. I mean, every jot, every tittle, every little phrase. He's going to fulfill the land that they're going to populate. He's going to fulfill that he's going to be their king in the seat of their father David. He is going to fulfill every promise that he has ever mentioned to them. And in this tribulation period, this is the shakeout of that nation there called the children of Israel because Israel in that period of time is going to be saved. A lot of them is going to be saved. And that's found in Romans chapter 11 and verses uh, 025. It says, For I would not, brethren, she should be ignorant of this mystery, lest she should be wise in your own conceits, that the blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Theologians call this the age of grace. That's where we're at right now. What is happening, and as in VBS, we bring these young boys and girls in here and give them the gospel, they're Gentiles. 99999. We may have had a Jewish born, but I doubt it. Everybody in this room is probably a Gentile. And Jesus is out in this entire world. The gospel is being preached. Jesus died for you. He was buried. He rose again the third day so that you could have your sins forgiven. If you will, with all your heart, trust him by faith as your Savior, he'll save you and put your name in the Lamb book of life, or at least keep it there. And you'll be one of his, you'll be a child called the bride of Christ, and you're going to be part of the church of Jesus Christ someday. He's going to rapture us prior to picking up his dealings with the, the 70th week or the last week of prophecy that Daniel mentioned in chapter 9 to the children of Israel, which, by the way, they are the main characters of most of the Old Testament. That's what he's doing. This is a mystery that Israel would even continue to exist to this moment. He said, the blindness is in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. So all Israel shall be saved. That's found in Romans eleven twenty six. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is a covenant unto them that I shall take away their sins. When God makes a covenant, he fulfills that covenant. Whatever you do, whatever you don't do, God fulfills his covenants. They're beloved for the Father's sake in verse 28. And it says in verse 32, For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon them all. The church has not been replaced, as some would like to say. Uh, and we know, this for av- we know this for sure. There's such a thing as, there's a thing going being popular, especially in Canada, called replacement theology. If, if you look at the book and believe that the Bible's literal, like every other thing you read, you would not agree with that. You could not agree with that. Take your Bible, if you want to, to Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 35 to 37, and just give you a little, a little sample. This is a little, this is a little tidbit of the promises given to the children of Israel and their existence. Um, while you're looking that up, I'm going to read in chapter 30 before that, uh, verse 11. He says, uh, or verse 10, Therefore fear not, O my servant Jacob, that is in no way the Gentiles. Saith the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I will save thee from afar. 
thy seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return and shall be in rest and be in quiet, and none shall make him afraid. For I am with thee, saith the Lord, to save thee, though I make a full end of all nations, whither I scatter them, yet will I not make a full end of thee. I will correct thee in a measure and will not leave thee altogether unpunished. God, after they sinned to the place he couldn't stand, it scattered them, starting with the Assyrians and then the Babylonians, scattered them throughout all the nations. Now, they've been scattered since about 586 B.C., over five. Think about how long it's been till 1948 that there was no such thing as a country called Israel. People, uh, if I may say people that are uh, Jew haters, were just thrilled that they were gone. The Jews are gone. They're gone. They're not going to be back. But brother, God said they're coming back. They're coming back. And they came back in 1948. And Baptists and Bible preachers all over the, all over the world were shocked but thrilled that the prophetic calendar had again clicked on and that God was again dealing with the children of Israel, establishing them as a real nation. What people has ever been scattered throughout the world that did not amalgamate, that did not melt in with the people they were with? They all do. They all meld in. They eventually all lose their identity, but not the Jew. Because he's God's chosen people in which they reached the world. And by the way, if I may remind you, Jesus was a Jew. I wouldn't be too upset with the Jews. Jeremiah 31 says, verse 35, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinance of the moon of the stars by night, which divideth the sea when the waves roar thereof, and the Lord of hosts is his name. By the way, he says, I, I set the boundaries for the ocean. Uh, uh, Brother Marty? Aren't you glad for that? He set the boundaries for the ocean where you live. All he had to do is raise the ocean another five feet, and you'd have lakefront all the way around. He says, if those ordinances, that's of the sun and the moon and the tides and everything, depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, now you know from the Hubble telescope, it cannot be measured. And the foundation of the earth searched out beneath, and we're still searching out the earth from beneath. I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. And basically what he says there in Jeremiah chapter 31, there's no way I'm casting these people off. They're mine. The Gentiles who are in the tribulation period, there will be Gentiles saved in the tribulation period, but the main purpose of the tribulation period is to save a remnant of Jews who finally recognize that the beast is not the Christ, but Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then that little group will be brought into the millennial period, and they will be allowed to go on and multiply and fill the earth again and fulfill every promise throughout all the minor and major prophets of the Old Testament to the Jewish people are going to be fulfilled in the millennial period. Now, what are the Gentiles, the church, the bride of Christ going to do there? We're going to read the book of 1 Peter. We're going to rule, and we're going to reign, and we're going to be a royal priesthood, and we're going to be his servants. The Bible says his servants should serve him. That's what we're going to do while in parallel with the Jews during the millennial period. We're going to serve. So God is testing you during this life to see with the light you've been given, what you do with it to qualify you for what's coming in the future. You think your life's important? 
Oh, you will in 100 years. Amen? And 100 years from now, you're going to say, oh, I wish I'd live for Jesus. You people aren't living for Jesus. Oh, you people aren't taking the Bible serious. Oh, it won't be long. You'll be saying, oh, that I had listened to that crazy preacher. Oh, that I had listened to all those, my teachers, my instructors that, this, that bumped me and kept bumping me to do right and bumping me for eternal life. Oh, that I had listened to them. By the way, Proverbs says that's true. This 144,000 is a select group of men who are virgins, specially chosen of God, 12,000 out of each tribe of Israel. Joseph is substituted for Dan. Manasseh is uh, substituted for the tribe of Ephraim. I don't know why Dan is not there. Nobody does know. But Dan is not mentioned. Of all the things that could have been said, and there were a few things said about these 144,000, number one, they're not defiled with women. They're virgins. They're redeemed from among men. They follow the lamb whithersoever he goeth. They're the first fruits of God to the lamb. The most interesting of all is this last phrase in verse 5. If you'll take your Bibles there to 14, 5 of Revelation, that's where I'm going to settle in. In their mouth was found no guile. Many things could have been said of these 144,000. But God recognizes the tongue as having no guile. Revelation 14, 5, And in their mouths was found no guile, for they were without fault before the throne of God. Jesus said, What goes into a man's mouth defileth man, uh, does not defile the man. What goes into a man's mouth does not defile the man. That's found in Matthew chapter um, 15, verse 11. Not that which goeth into the mouth defileth the man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, that defileth the man. Now, from this, people say, well, then I can eat, drink, and do anything I want to do externally because it don't make any difference. That's a misinterpretation and a sub, subversion of what Jesus is saying. Jesus in that verse is not sanctioning gluttony or drunkenness or drug use because those things increase the guile that comes from your mouth. That does not lessen it. Do you agree? In other words, in a bottle of whiskey are a lot of cuss words. In a bottle of beer are a lot of things that you shouldn't say if you drink that. What goes into your mouth, the actual liquid itself doesn't defile you, but what it does to you in your spirit and what, that, what it then does and that comes out of your spirit does defile you. I've been around plenty of alcoholics. I did years of faith mission work. I've been around drug druggers and druggies. I was raised in the 60s. I know what drug use does to people. I know what alcohol do to people. I can tell you, though, what goes into a man's mouth technically is not what's going to send you to hell. It's what happens coming to the outside of you. Yet it does influence what you say, what you think, and what you do. They say 65% of all crime is committed when the people are in, under the influence of alcohol. I heard that directly from the sheriff. 65%. So my thinking is, if you, if you, if you banned alcohol, and could it somehow enforce it, crime would go down 65%. Make sense? All the drinkers say, no, don't take alcohol from me, please. Don't take I can't live without it. That's the problem right there. Jesus point of the verse there in the 1511 of Matthew 
is an overemphasis of the Pharisees on externalities and not internalities, if you know what I'm saying. The Pharisees emphasize the body and the externalities and the washing of hands and all these other things, and, and they de-emphasize the most important part of man, which was his spirit and his soul. That's why Jesus said what goes into a man's mouth is not what defiles him, it's what comes out. You guys are so concerned with the outside that you forgot that the inside is where all the bad stuff comes from. Pay attention to what's inside, too, also. The body is temporal, but the spirit is eternal. We need to quit talking so much about our bodies. Whew. Trust me. Most of our prayer requests at prayer meeting are about something that is temporal and just going to last a little bit of time. And the things that are eternal, that make eternal difference, that's just a short little list. Now, folks, that ought not to be. The things which are most valuable should be the long list, and the, and the, and the body things should be the short list. I know I've been in pain. I've had gout. I've had migraines and all the kinds of things. And I know that will want to consume you. But trust me, it's eternal, invisible things that you want to focus on. I'll never forget a prayer request in prayer meeting one time. I just about wanted to resign. I haven't come. I don't, I, it'd take a lot to make me resign because it'd be against God's will. And you'd have to about probably shoot me for that. I probably ought not to say that this week for sure. But somebody raised their hand in prayer request, said, you know, pray for me. I sprained my ankle. I'm not going to be able to go to Disney this week. Now, here we're taking, we're taking requests of people unsaved, loved ones dying, going to hell, and everything. And I sprained my ankle. And I just was like, have we come down to, we don't get to go to Disney? I just want to do the Tasmanian devil on the whole thing. You know, ever see the Tasmanian demo where he just spins around, he's in a blur, and he goes crazy? That's, that was what I wanted to do. James cares about the internalities, the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 26 says, If any man, if any man of you seem to be religious, bridleth not his tongue, he deceiveth his own heart. This man of religion is vain. James 3, 5 said, even, the, even so the tongue is a little member, it boasts us great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. We know that from lightning strikes down here. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So the tongue among our members, it defileth the whole body and is setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Now, folks, that's some tough words, right? But that's what God says our tongue is about. So if you ask me, we should spend a whole lot of attention and a whole lot of prayer and a whole lot of our time on, not, on making sure bad things don't come out of our mouth and spend less time on the body. And the temporal things. And, the, and, the, and spend a little bit more time on the eternal things. That's what the Bible says. Because it says in these 144,000, the thing that hit me when I read down through that list 
In their mouths was no guile. In their mouths was no guile. What's guile? It's poison. Poison. Something that hurts people. James 3.2 says, For in many things we, all, we offend all. Not anybody in this room has an offended with their mouth. There isn't anyone in this room had an offended with their mouth. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, is able to bridle the whole body. That's what James said. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, one of your main trouble areas is what you say. If you can get to the place in your maturity where you can begin to control the guile that wants to come out of your mouth and, 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 and instead of have your mouth seasoned with grace and be a, a builder up rather than a tearer down, he said, you are maturing. The perfect man means to mature, come to completeness. That's what the word perfect means, come to completeness or maturity. How you tell a mature Christian from an immature Christian is not how many times they come to church or how much money they give or all these other things we'll look at. It is your mouth. It's your mouth. It's what you say in secret about other folks. Dear brothers and sisters, we need to overcome our vile tongues. James chapter 3, verse 13 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envyings and strife in your hearts, glory not. Lie not against the truth. When you hear criticisms and negativisms masked, as it's just my opinion, you should be able to smell the fire from hell that James talks about. Let the devil do his job. The Bible says the devil's accuser of the brethren. Amen? He's the accuser of the brethren. That means he goes around. The Bible says he accuses us before God day and night. How does that make you feel? He's up there accusing you day and night. He's, he's thinking, hey, Tom, I saw Tom Glass. He's up there accusing you. Now, he's the accuser of the brethren. Let him do his job. Amen? It's not my job to accuse the brethren. It's not my job. Let him do his job. Let him condemn us. Let him criticize us. Let him overanalyze and, and opinionize us. Um, you know why we can't do that? Let me, man, if you didn't listen to anything on this whole thing, get this. You don't know the whole story. And you can't judge until you know the whole story. Hello? There's no judge in America will make a judgment until he hears both sides of the story and they accumulate the evidence and they carefully go over it. And even that time, sometimes he'll say, I don't have a good grip on it. It's a mistrial. This was done out of order. This was taken out of order. It's a mistrial. Just in case they may condemn the innocent, they'll, they'll, let a, they'll let a criminal go. We used to have a lawyer in our church. His name was Chris Powell. Two-story building had been dedicated to him. He said, in law, here's the way it is. They would let, rather let nine criminals go free than to condemn one innocent man. I'm glad I live in that system. How about you? I don't want to live in a system that condemns nine innocent people to get that one criminal. I don't want to live in that system, but there are systems out there like that for sure. We don't need 
to verbally make these judgments when we don't know both sides. In fact, so few people in any situation ever know really the facts. They think they do. They have an opinion on it, which is all pride-based, ego-based. I'll ask people, how do you know what you're saying is true? Well, I just know. Man, when they say that, you just know it's ego. The Bible says there cannot be contention without pride. If you've got contention in a room, you have pride in that room. And so it's best, unless you are forced or appointed as a judge, don't. The Bible says, judge not lest you be judged. Does it not say that? Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Don't judge. Quit judging. Quit it. Stop it. You don't have all the facts. I've had, as a pastor, I have the unfortunate privilege of learning both sides of a lot of stories. And then I'll hear people come in and tell me they, this is what they believe or that believe. And I realize that they don't even, they have no clue the big picture. But it's confidential. I can't tell them. I just tell them, you're wrong. And they say, no, I'm right. I, no, you're wrong. Because you don't have all the facts. Get, I am one of the few people that get all the facts. Because many of these facts are confidential facts. You can't know these facts. People don't want those information out. And so they tell me in confidentiality some very, very personal things. It sheds the light on it. It's been said this. If you, if you had all the pieces of the puzzle, everything would make sense. Have you ever had a situation just that didn't make sense? It's because you do not have all the pieces. If you had all the pieces, it will completely be logical because people operate in a logical manner. And you don't have all the pieces, don't do it. There should not be guile in our tongues, born-again believers. We should be the group of people that you can walk among and not get slit and cut and backjabbed and, and bitten. Bible says if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed of one another. Because the end of that is simply total division, one from another, and eventually failure and consumption and God Almighty judging you. You don't want that. I don't want that. I want him to be able to say to me what he said about the 144,000. There was no guile in his mouth. Now I know the tongue, unruly evil, set on fire of hell, world of iniquity. No man can tame, but with God. Hello? I can't do it on my will, but with God you can tame it. Because God and you make a majority, amen? With Christ you can do what? I can do everything and anything with Christ. Christ in me the hope of glory. What this passage tells me is... God does not and will not promote anyone who is speaking guile out of their mouth. Because 144,000 he chose and promoted, and that was something he actually bragged about them, is they have, in their mouths was found no guile. You take the reverse of that. If you have guile, God is not going to promote you. He'll cause you to fail and fail and fail and fail and fail. In things you wouldn't believe. Now, we Christians struggle in this area. 
I've been around a while. And we struggle. Something happens. You get partial information. You make a judgment. Don't do it. You don't need to make If you're not, I like what old Bill Goddard said years ago. He said, if you're not part of the solution, be quiet. Amen? If you're not part of the solution, be quiet. Example. Let me take Dale and his sweet wife, Shirley. And their daughter right beside them. Let's say they got some dispute going on, and, 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 and that, look, you could, I can't believe it that you would ever be disobedient. But let's say that you were going to be disobedient with your mom and dad, and, and I just heard your story. You came to me, and you, you bled on me about, oh, my mom and dad are so unreasonable. They want me to be moral. They want me to be upright. They want me to read my Bible. It's just not right. Now, you wouldn't say that. I'm just making this up. Uh, or they did it, and they asked me to take the trash out. I don't think women ought to do that. Now, I can get all puffed up and say, boy, women ought not to do that because my father told me that, and my grandfather told me that, and my great-grandfather told me that. That don't make it a law. If that, if that old boy wants to make a rule in his house that his daughter takes trash out, that's his business. There's nothing morally wrong with that. But you can get involved in that, and t- I, could, I could look at her and say, you know, your dad's being really unreasonable. Guile. Guile. I've just divided him from his daughter. That's guile. The Bible says six things I hate in Proverbs chapter 6. Six things I hate. Yea, seven. They who cause division among the brethren. Everything that you do either unites people or divides people. You better, you better, you better weigh heavily what you say because if you are a divider... God himself is set against you, and he'll take you out in his due time. But if you're a uniter, I want to unite people. Is there not enough division? Is there not enough sin? Is there not enough clashing? Do we have to create things and then ride on them? No. We, I have chosen to, by the grace of God, look at the good and praise it. I've just chosen to look at the good and praise it. Brother Gillespie and I have been friends for 35, 40 years, maybe, something like that. I forgot. He knows a lot of bad about me. Now, that doesn't mean that you're going to go ask him after the service. But he knows all kinds. I have been some of my worst behavior in front of that man right there. And he is a member of Gospel Baptist Church anyway. That's right. I mean, I have been some of my worst. I'm going to tell you where I, I'm going to tell you the person I've been my worst in front of my wife and all the men said on Father's Day and she's still with me I think she likes me but there have been some times she hasn't liked me and I have been my absolute grungiest fleshiest selfishest whatever you want to say in front of that woman and and yet she's had to decide to look at the good and praise it, and not look at the bad and emphasize it. Because if my wife looked at my bad and emphasized it, we would not be married today. Now, I'm not going to tell you about her. But <laughs> I've had people, I'll, I'll close with this, I've had people in marriage counseling come into me. The woman comes in, I've said this over and over. The woman comes in and tells me her story. By the time she's done, I am livid at the man. I say, he is a low-life, bottom-feeding scum. Then I, I call, because you should, you should hear both sides of the story. I call the man in. 
Well, by the time he's done with me, I said, that woman is a low-life, bottom-feeling scum. What did you ever see in her? And what I notice is, is perspectives. I'll get them in the room together and say, why did you ever get married? Well, he didn't use it. She didn't use it. I said, you, you got to let it go. Forgive each other. Work on the good. Seek the good and promote it. Lift up the, has he got any good at all? And she'll sit there, hmm. You know, you ask a woman about, I'm not, it's, it's Father's Day, so we're going to do this. Um, you ask the woman if she could list the bad things about her husband, and she's usually, don't have to have a list, don't have to get the cell phone out, don't have to go to reminders. He eats this way, it's like, wow, you got that memorized. I say, would you name me some good about him? Oh, let's see. Well, no, she can go like this. She'll go, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. I said, think about those things. Is that not Philippians 4.8? Is that not what Philippians 4.8 is saying? Whatever things are honest, what things are true, what things are just, what things are pure, if there's anything be lovely, if there be any virtue. Think on these things. Why? Because you put your mind on the negative stuff, it's going to come out your mouth, and you're going to sin with your mouth and your tongue, and you're going to be at odds with God. And you're, you know what? You're going to be worse than all that. You're going to be on the devil's team. Don't be on the devil's team. Trust me when I tell you this. If I hear something about you, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. It's not true. In fact, you're innocent to a proven guilt. You're innocent to a proven guilty. And that's in the mouth of two witnesses after careful investigation. Careful investigation. Not just I heard somebody say or I think. It's after two witnesses and careful investigation. And then reluctantly, if it's true, and sadly will say it's so. Dear one, be part of what God likes. And things are going to go well with you. They'll go well with you. In their mouth was found no guile. Father, help us to get it, understand it, assimilate it, put it to to practice. God, help us not to join the devil's team in any of this. If we have, help us go to the folks we talked about and ask them to forgive us. First, go to you and ask them to forgive us. Just get clean every way we got to get clean. In Jesus' name, amen. i